powerful scriptures that Fred just just read, and I, I think they're so appropriate. I hadn't thought to put this together because I'm not terribly smart all the time. But then Natalia would be with us this morning in her ministry serving the Jewish people, and that we would open this morning before Easter reading about the coming and crucifixion of Jesus from the Old Testament book of Isaiah. You see this passage here mentioning the piercing of Jesus, this before the crucifixion itself was ever even invented. It's mentioning the piercing of Jesus. It's an incredibly powerful thing. And so it also says here, notice that he will sprinkle many nations. One of the things that were part of the worship of Israel the sprinkling of the altar with blood and the blood of Christ will sprinkle many nations, not not Israel alone, but the entire world. It's pretty powerful stuff, isn't it? And so next week, whenever we are celebrating Easter, you'll notice, by the way, we put a bunch of uh, invitation cards out on the seats this morning just to give you something to uh, have in hand to give to someone who you invite for next week with the service times, all of that kind of stuff. If uh, you have someone in mind to invite, or if you don't, but you're going to pray for who to invite, we'd encourage you to take one or two of those this morning. But as we look at next week, we are celebrating the actual, the resurrection of Jesus. We say a lot around here that Christianity is a, is a faith and the hinging thing was actually an event, a happening, the resurrection of Jesus. But Jesus was resurrected from the cross, And so what we want to do this morning is look back at the cross of Jesus, culminating in communion, remembering his body that was broken for us, his blood that was poured out for us. But I want to consider what exactly happened on the cross. The cross, um, it's something that today we're so used to seeing that we use it for decoration. If we look closely enough around the room, I'm sure we have some cross necklaces or cross earrings. If I could be in your bedroom or your living room, some of us might have crosses arranged on the wall. Because of everything that came out of the cross, we see it rightfully as something that was incredibly beautiful. But let's not forget that the cross was an evil, torturous method of execution. We can never forget that we would basically be doing something kind of similar to have an electric chair hanging around our neck or perhaps a a syringe symbolizing a lethal injection. The cross was an instrument of, of death is what it was an instrument of. And so what happened in this particular day, whenever Jesus was crucified, it was a collision of what was God doing in the world and how is he redeeming this moment where the most beautiful person that ever lived was tortured, humiliated, stripped naked, and nailed to pieces of wood. What was God up to right there? It's like a crash site. Remember whenever I was in college, I was walking from one building to another, and I was sort of on the outskirts of the campus, which uh, bordered one of the main streets in town. And as I'm walking, I hear that sound none of us ever likes to hear in town behind me, the screeching of tires and the crashing of metal. <clears throat> and whenever I heard that, you, you always know what's happening. Something particularly disturbing this particular day was that a horn locked in the on position. And so me and a number of other students turned around and ran to the edge of the street to see what had happened. And sure enough, a couple of cars had hit each other 
head on. And seeing that twisted metal, hearing that horn, it's something that's so hard to look away from, isn't it? I mean, who of us hasn't had the experience of traveling on a highway, being backed up for four miles, going along at seven miles an hour, only to eventually pass a a crash site? And sometimes it's even on the opposite side of the highway, across from a divider, and there's something in us that just kind of can't look away. It can't look away. Something horrible has happened here. Maybe somebody has lost their life. What is it that we're looking back on whenever we look back on the cross of Jesus? What exactly is going on? I want to say this morning, I'm going to give you more of a a devotional than a sermon, but there are kind of four things that collide at the cross. It's kind of an incredible crash site. The first thing is this. The collision at the cross involved evil. The collision at the cross involved evil. I think that all of us would agree that, how many of you would agree that some things really are evil? That it's not just a matter of opinion. Killing innocent people is evil. Torturing babies is evil. Whether you feel it's, whether you feel, however you feel about it, you have to just acknowledge that some things are actually evil. And what the Bible does is it defines evil in the world as sin. Evil is sin. And whenever we talk about Easter and the crucifixion and Jesus laying down his life to cover our sins, just reminding this morning, sin, to sin means to miss the mark. It was set by God and not in sort of an oopsie way, but in a bit of a deliberate way to know that something is wrong or evil, but not to be able to live up and cooperate with even our knowledge of what is wrong and is evil. And that is why on Easter, as we proclaim the, the risen Jesus, he's risen again, he came from the cross, he died for your sin. The reason that we believe everybody needs to hear that message is because the book of Romans tells us there is no difference, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Jewish people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Gentiles have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Your really sweet grandmother, who makes the most amazing cookies, has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You, me, we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We would all agree that evil is out there. The thing that God needs to get across to all of us is that evil is also in here. The problem isn't just with everybody else. Problems not just with the president. The problem's not with North Korea. The, problem's, the problem is it's in all of us. We all, every single one of us, needs to be saved. And the thing is, whenever God looks at evil and he looks at sin, he just doesn't say, yeah, that's bad. He doesn't just acknowledge it as a fact. It's what the book of Psalms says. Psalm 51 says this, against you, And you only have I sinned. David reflecting on his adulterous relationship. And he's saying, ultimately and worst, I have sinned against you, God. And so until we sort of know like how big of a deal sin is to God, it's hard to appreciate what Jesus went through on the cross and what he was resurrected for and what that resurrection means. So that if you think of kind of one of the worst things that could ever happen, a woman being assaulted, 
It's one of the worst things that happens in this world. Say the person that does the assaulting comes around and is, I did something horrible, I need to seek forgiveness because he comes to understand what he has done. That's a good thing, right? But who really understands what he has done at the deepest depth? The one who sinned or the one who was sinned against? Would you not say that the woman who suffered at the hands of an evil man really understands his sin worse than he did at a deeper level? And so whenever, whenever David writes here against you and you alone have I sinned, he's really saying he's recognizing that ultimately sin is against God. The idea is that he has made you and I for his purposes, that he has given us a life to live. And he has said, hey, the world works in certain ways. Lying will break you. Lust will take you down paths you never wished you went down. Hatred will make a generally kind person go dark. And so scripture says against God, ultimately, we have sinned. So on the cross, you see evil. Jesus heaping the sins of the world on himself. So evil was on the cross. We don't talk a lot about sin in our culture. And to be honest, sometimes I even wonder as a pastor, am I overdoing it with the sin stuff? Thanks, David. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But Jesus, Jesus didn't die for us to be nice. He died for us because without the shedding of blood, Scripture says, there is no forgiveness of sins. So that in the Jewish culture, Natalia is is representing for us this morning, we know that in ancient Israel, there's a system of temple and ritual sacrifices, always with the knowledge that through this act, we know that these animals can't really cover our sins, but God is letting us know both that sin brings death and that he is willing to accept and cover our sin. And so Jesus was sacrificed for the entire world. For the entire world. For you. So evil was on the cross. And so what else was on the cross? The crash involved evil. Secondly, the crash involves justice. The crash involves justice. The, the cross itself was a tool of justice. It was a twisted tool of justice. Something that was used to keep slaves in line, to threaten the lower class, to show what just will happen if you ever try to stand up against Rome. And it was used to punish evildoers. Every system of society has some form of justice. And we believe in justice, don't you? Don't you believe in justice rightly done? That it needs to happen? That evil should not just be allowed. It should not just be allowed. It should be dealt with. That's why scripture says the government has the sword for a good reason. Somebody in the sinful world has to be able to say, this is unacceptable and, and it is appropriate that offenders be punished for their sin. The Justice League, we believe in justice. Movies like the Justice League. Superheroes with incredible powers able to bring justice to a world that can't conquer certain evils themselves. The Justice League. Let's talk about superheroes for a little bit. 
What about um, the American justice system? Can we have a nerdy illustration real quick? Will you nerd out with me? So the American justice system, we have a picture of a kind of blind justice. And you learned about this in civics or government in school and college. The idea of blind justice is that she's not looking at people and judging by anything other than the law. She's not saying, I kind of like this person. They have kind eyes and look sort of nice. No, she is judging rightly because of just simply law. And so she has the scales in one hand and she has the sword in the other. And right now, and well, for years, there are always debates that flare up at different times. Hey, are we getting it right with our justice system? Is everyone being treated equally as they should? Can we get justice right? And sometimes sinful hearts get justice wrong. They really get it wrong. So part two of the nerdy illustration, in 1905, an artist named Paul Robert created a painting called Justice Lifts the Nations. And he had a different idea of justice. And so he gives us a picture of Lady Justice, not with her eyes blindfolded, with her eyes open, seeing things clearly. But the sword is not pointing up in the air. The sword is pointing at the law of God saying God has created a world that should operate in such a way. He has given us his word and his word is accurate and everything it teaches and affirms. And so she has the scales of justice over here. And what she is trying to say is that we can judge rightly by the law of God. And so what Jesus did is he judges rightly by the law of God and then he suffers at the hands of justice himself in an evil fashion, through kind of a miscarriage of justice, naturally through the Jewish leaders convicting him wrongly, Rome nailing him to the cross, holding him up, torturous. That was wicked and it was evil. It was an enacting of human justice. And then scripture also says that upon Jesus, God laid the iniquity of us all. It says that he was pierced for our rebellion. Some, we all agree that sin should be paid for, right? It's just no fun to think of paying for our own sin. And so in God's justice, sin will have to be paid for. Sin is not like a helium balloon that you just cut and let it go and he never thinks about it again. It's wicked in your life. It's wicked in mine. It's an affront to God's character. And there has to be justice, And that is why ultimately heaven and hell is about not whether or not you can pay for your own sins because you never can. And I never can. Heaven and hell is about have you allowed God to pay for your sins or will you ultimately receive punishment yourself through eternity? That's why we say in the book of Revelation, it talks about about the books being open and those whose names were found in the book of life were judged by what Jesus did. And those names who were not found in the book of life were judged by what they did. And so that's the good news and the bad news. The good news is that you don't have to be judged by God ultimately for your own actions. You can be judged by the actions of Jesus. The bad news is that if you reject what Jesus did for you, you'll have to pay for sins yourself. And so what we see on the cross in this act of human 
twisted justice and God's ultimate justice is Jesus saying, there's a real penalty here. It is terrible. Let me do this for you. Let me do it for you. I don't want you to have to pay for, pay for your sin. One of my favorite stories I read a few years ago about a little boy who had created a, a model sailboat. His parents had bought him the kit and he had put it together, labored over it for hours. And then the first time he got to bring it out to the lake, it got away from him. The wind picked up, the boat took off, he ran beside it, but it went out to the center and ultimately across the other side and he lost his boat. He had made his boat and he lost his boat, Peter. And so he goes home crushed And one day, he and his mother are walking downtown, maybe a town like Waxahachie with all of our cool windows and all the stuff in the windows, and he sees his boat in that window. And he runs into the store, and he says, that's my boat. The store owner says, well, it's my boat, but it can be your boat for $17. And so the little boy looks at mom, and you know how kids buy. Can I buy this? And mom goes, yes, and then mom buys it. But the little boy buys back his boat, And whenever he's going home later, he's playing with it again. And he says, now you're twice mine. First I made you, then I bought you. And that's what God, that's the gospel. First God made you. Then through the blood of Jesus being poured out for your own sins and mine, then he bought us. So if you are God's, you are twice his. And if you have not given your life to God, he has made you. But now he wants to to buy you. That's justice. That's not just justice, that's love. That's the other thing we see on the cross. We see evil crashing with justice, crashing with love. You know, God would be right in judging us for our sin. God is never wrong in judging us for our sins. He is always right, isn't he? And yet scripture says, for the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. And this is is how good God is. It's he who will save us. It's he who will save us. He is our judge. He is our, that's why we gotta be careful when we say, ah, God knows my heart. Usually we say that, Whenever it doesn't look like our heart is so good, and we say, ah, God knows my heart. Yes, and that's the problem. But then the goodness of God is also that he will judge, but he will also save. He'll save us from judgment. And so you see God doing this on the cross. Why? Because he loves us. What other being would ever get involved in saving enemies? That's what the book of Romans says. It says that the sinful mind Our mind, before we give our hearts to God, is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. That's what scripture says. And God looks at us and says, yeah, I know, but they are worth saving. I'll do anything to have them. And so this passage of Isaiah we read says he was pierced because of our rebellion. He was crushed because of our iniquity. Our punishment was on him and he took it to bring us peace and we are healed by his wounds. We're healed by 
his wounds in what he did. How many of you think that our culture is just in a great place right now with this whole cancel culture deal? Cancel culture is an example of how we bring justice and judgment on a popular level. We decide what we hate, and then we pour out our wrath on that person, and we try to absolutely destroy them. It's the weirdest thing in the world. And it's especially the weirdest thing in the world because I think if you got down to the heart of each and every person who has ever lived, there's not one of us who has ever lived up to what we thought was right. Not even mentioning what, we, what God might think is right. We can't even always live up to what we think is right. And yet we want to crush and abolish and destroy others for falling short of our glory. And so all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And then Jesus steps in and out of love takes the punishment that we are due because he wants to have us. So evil crashes with justice. Justice crashes with love. And the fourth thing on the cross is is just, um, I just want to put a face on love. The cross involved Jesus. The cross involved Jesus. Have you ever seen paintings of the cross and everything and like Jesus is just so ripped, he's like Superman? Just these huge shoulders, huge biceps, and he's just, it's like, it's not even hurting him. He's just going along with it. Ow, oh, that's just, oh my gosh, that's not it at all. Jesus probably kind of stout. He worked with wood and stone. I'm sure the man was calloused up and, and had some muscle, but that's just not the important thing. Sometimes we always want our heroes to look heroic, to fit a certain mold. And here's one of the interesting things the book of Isaiah says about Jesus. He grew up before him like a young plant. He just grew up as a baby, like a root out of dry ground in a place where there wasn't a lot of godliness going on. Jesus grew up like a root out of dry ground. You know, he can help you live a godly life in a dry place too. He can do it. So Jesus grew up like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form. Jesus was not six foot five. Jesus was not muscled out. It says that he didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him. In his earthly form, you might have thought he was just a guy. Have you seen Jesus? That guy? He's impressive? And it turns out that the beauty of Jesus came out of the way he lived, out of his kindness, out of just the way he was, the way he taught that's what drew crowds to him. His power came from, you know, he had, he had taken off the form of God. He was a man living with the power of the Holy Spirit and through him at a word, he could drive a crowd of demons into a crowd of pigs. At a word, he could say, hey, stand up and walk. Take your mat and go home. He didn't have a form. You wouldn't have looked at him and thought, this dude should be an avenger. All of his goodness came from his character, from his person. Have you ever, I mean, I know I go back to this kind of 
illustration a lot, but those of us who are parents or have young siblings, you look at that. It doesn't take you long to realize that even kids are sinful. Watch your baby slap their new brother or sister with a toy and you realize, okay, we do all need to be saved. But you do look at your child and you see that, that innocence and that simplicity of a heart and those good things that where the Bible says you must become like a child to enter the kingdom of God. And you look at that innocence and you know as they grow and as they are tempted and as life gets complicated, who of us hasn't experienced a loss of innocence? And then you look at Jesus who lived 33 or so years on this earth, was tempted just like we are, but probably at a more intense depth than any of us could understand, who understood evil more deeply than we could ever know, and yet is truly the only absolutely innocent person to ever walk this earth. and he was nailed to wood for it. His body was torn to shreds for it. Evil was on the cross. Justice was on the cross. Love was on the cross. Because Jesus was on the cross. Because Jesus was on the cross. Next week as we celebrate his resurrection, let's remember what he was resurrected from. Let's remember what he went through. That's why it matters so much. That's why it matters so much. They tried to shut him up. They couldn't. They put soldiers around his tomb. Hey, he said he's going to raise again. We think someone will try to steal his body and then it'll be nuts. They put soldiers around his tomb. He was raised anyway because God was at work. Unlike most tragic collisions, this one didn't end with a funeral. It didn't end with a funeral. So the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, I want to invite the band to go ahead and come up. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. What were the scriptures whenever this was written? Scriptures like the book of Isaiah that we read. He, he died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Peter, and then he appeared to the 12. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 at the same time, most of who were still living at the time this was written. Most of the 500 people or so that saw him at the same time are still walking around. You can ask them. Some of them have fallen asleep. Why? Because those who die in Christ are only asleep. They are only asleep. They're not really dead. The resurrection is everything, but the resurrection followed the crucifixion. I want to reflect on that with communion right now.